I, I hope that this was the best podcast that you ever saw. Oh my god, god. you son that of a bitch. You can't end the podcast on dad puns. You have to start it with one. I just heard us, and that's the outro right there. There it is. <laughs> it can be the intro, too. That's a good point. I'll make that work. All right. All right, welcome back to the Trilateral Troika. This is Steve, along with the other Steve. Ah. <laughs> That's your cue. Dynamite podcast you got there, boys. <laughs> you just sound like Detective Columbo instead of Hannibal. No, I got a Columbo impression. That was totally Hannibal from the A-Team. Come on. Go and ahead and go, go get him, face. <laughs> See? And of course, Ryan... The incorrigible Ryan. <laughs> I don't have a beer this time to crack open. I just, like, I have a twist off. I have travel I whiskeys. Have a- <laughs> I have travel whiskeys I got for Christmas. Oh, I heard that. I got one. Yeah, this is Kilburn Irish whiskey. I'm drinking Crown and Coke at the moment. Canadian? You're Irish. Come on. No, Crown's good. Listen, I ran out of Jameson earlier today. You know Actually, what's good? Canadian mist. I'm joking. And that's this week's episode, guys. <laughs> I have to drive to Orlando and beat the other Steve. I tell you, you're going to have a hell of a time because the whole team's here. I was I was tempted to try Conor McGregor's swill over the weekend. It's good. I just no. It, I've heard it's like a decent dude. Like, I I drank tea. I drank a whole bottle of it. It's smooth and it's good. But remember, it's just like blended. So basically, you could just get Tullamoredale. We'll just we'll just wait until like well he was bad enough but we'll just wait until the criminal proceedings in Ireland finish before I uh, yeah begin begin buying any any of his he got uh, he got two million to, he got two million dollars this weekend to make a fucking layup yeah Yo, listen um I was at a I was at the bar or I was at a not a bar brewery. the bar uh, Springs yeah the bar no no I was at a local brewery uh, shout out to the High Springs Brewery. Um, and they had the UFC fight on, and I ended up leaving before the main card started, but I was talking to a buddy of mine, and I was laughing about the fact that there are always people that get really mad when they pay, like, 90 bucks for the pay-per-view, and then it ends in 20 seconds <laughs> main card. Oh, yeah. It that was, happens all it the time, over. dude. All the time. All yeah. the time. Dude, my brother texted me. He was like, I'm at the bar, and there are so many people pissed off that this fight just ended. I was like... <laughs> Between that and the uh, the the match before it, the uh, was it was it Pennington? It was the the ladies match. Yeah, Pennington like, uh, and Holly Holm. Holly Holm just like gets him in the clinch, and then just like goes goes down the count. Like it, it's yeah. it's like a very technical like like if you know like MMA, like it's one of those things where you're like yeah she's she's doing like a good thing like by the book. But, like, it's very boring to watch because it's just, like, two people hugging each other for, like, 15 minutes. That's my biggest complaint about the UFC is the minute they go to the ground, it's not fun anymore. And someone someone made a really good point online that, like, Holly Holmes, or Holly Holmes job was to essentially beat Ronda Rousey. And she beat Ronda Rousey. And, and now she has, like, no more purpose. So she's just, this, like, very by-the-numbers. Like, uh, so, yo, listen, uh, hot, hot take, hot take. I'm a fan of Holly Holm. not a great fighter. She's strictly average. She was just the first that came out. Yeah, and she was, was actually whooping ass. But she's really not no, that great. She beat the show. That, is, that is a hot take. 
and it's it's hotly debated that I feel like she is a really really. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the UFC podcast. <laughs> We're not douchey enough. We no, don't. We should. We should do the UFC half an hour, and then one of us, one of us, jeans. one of us can be Brendan Schaub, and uh, one of us can be Joe Rogan. One of us definitely has to be Eddie Bravo. <laughs> you know. No, I heard that Holly Holm doesn't even have knees. She's just got weird, weird holy plates in her legs that the church put in there. Yeah, Jamie, Jamie, Jamie. Uh, she worships Satan. Treatment that they got for for no knees, Jamie. If you could pull that up real fast. My favorite thing about Dana White is, and it was something that got brought up recently on Reddit that I never realized Dana. before, is that um, Dana White never gives straight answers when he's asked them. But if you phrase it, it's sort of like a gambling way. Like, yeah, that was on Reddit. Like, what are the odds? Yeah, he'll answer it because he's a gambling addict. Yeah, he used to work with. <laughs> he run out of Boston by Whitey Ford. Remember. Or not Whitey, White, Whitey Ford. <laughs> oh my! Okay, guys, now this this yeah. episode's really over because I do have to drive to my in Orlando now. <laughs> well, speaking of gangsters, speaking of Whitey Bulger, was he a gangster? The Shah of Iran. Ah. Well, yes, I would I would say uh, someone who was not a gangster, but but sort of lived like one. Um, he, he's kind of just like that scene in, in Scarface, you know, when he gets like all the money and it's just the montage of like, like all the cars and stuff he buys in his like mansion. Like that's, that's pretty much the second half of our story. If the Shaw is like him doing that, like that, that Tony Montana, like montage while, <laughs> while like, starving children are like behind him. <laughs> oh man. I, um, I'm super excited for this one though because I do have uh, a pretty good base um, knowledge of Middle East and like you know the geopolitical region in that area and like the politics that go on. So this should actually be fun because I'm assuming that we're going to talk and cover about the Iranian Revolution. That'll be I'm the in, next podcast. Okay. I'm excited for the exact opposite reason because you, you don't, don't know. <laughs> I really don't know much about the Middle East uh, for a long time. This I called everyone in India Middle Eastern, and uh, I got corrected <laughs> severely by a friend. Uh, Did you not get beaten? <laughs> no, I didn't get beaten. I mean, like, it's not like the end of the world. I wasn't at, like, a social club or something. I was, I was going to say, I couldn't decide if that was because you were, like, your, your New Jersey roots, or, or if you should have no excuse, because, like, the area of New Jersey you live in is just, like, filled to the brim with, like, South Asians. I, I do. Absolutely. It is. Like, there's, like, like if you've ever been to, like, the area of New Jersey he's from, there's, like, huge, like, Hindu temples and stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, though. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I've been it's, to... Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, there's a there's one town, I always forget what it is. I think it's Edison. They call it, like, Little India. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly. I think it's Edison. Because I, I used to have to work there, and, like, every business in the area was, was either Indian or Middle Eastern. So it was, like just everywhere right i'd roll in and it would just everyone would be there and I'd, I'd be in like the cafeteria for lunch and i was like surely mu- some person here must look like the people i grew up with nope just all indian it was fine like i don't have a problem with it but it was just kind of like culture shock because it was just like 40 minutes up the road you know so in order to get on with our, our story instead of sort of doing a longer rambling talking about UFC and back home and little India. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Persia, which, which is what um, Iran was referred to in classical times was like a major regional power 
in, to, I would say to a degree, Europe. I would say more the Middle East. The, the extent of Persia's influence kind of went all the way to Anatolia, where modern-day Turkey is. And Persia and Greece were always sort of at odds. Um, a lot of times this gets sort of portrayed in, like recently as being that like the Greeks were these sort of backwards, like almost um, like tyrannical weird people, and the Persians were, were sort of like how people view the U.S. as sort of this multicultural... Um, Empire. Weren't the Persians mm. and the Greeks like the main story in 300? Yes. Um, and the Persians like to fight with elephants, which just kind of blew my mind because elephants always seem like the most peaceful and chill animals. They're, they're more of an intimidation factor. Um, elephants have very weak, like the pads of their feet are very we uh, weak. So yeah. if, you're, if you're able to like injure them, and they also get scared really easily. Like I said, I feel like elephants are probably not great. Like if, all right, okay, look, if you're gonna intimidate me, don't come riding an elephant. Come riding a fucking hyena or like a crocodile or something. I'm going to be intimidated. You come rolling through on that thing. If I see an I, elephant, I'd be like, that thing's pretty cool. I'll tell you what. I don't mean to call you out there, Chief, but I'm just saying, if you come at me and you're trying to intimidate me, and you're on an elephant, number one. <laughs> I'm going to be fucking intimidated. <laughs> and number two, if you can ride a hyena, I'm going to be even more intimidated. So I'll definitely I'll definitely agree with you there. But an elephant's definitely going to intimidate me too. So. Ah, man, they're too chill, man. Elephants are too chill to be intimidated. I wouldn't stand there. I mean, I would, you know, I would George Orwell that thing. When I was a kid, there was an elephant rampage in my hometown. In Palm, wherever. Yeah, yeah, in Palm Bay, they they can't have the circus in Palm Bay anymore because, like, in the early like the mid '80s, an elephant went on the rampage, and they had to, they they ran out of ammunition shooting it. The the police did, and they had Jesus. to go to the gun store and buy more ammo. Yeah, didn't that and, happen in California? But it was dudes that were just armored and robbing a bank. <laughs> like, yeah, there were those chapters. <laughs> That's so, how you know it's Florida. The were they in an elephant gun suit? store because they shoot an elephant? <laughs> yeah, they were in a giant mechanical elephant. <laughs> Florida, Florida, Florida. Um, and the to back to Persia. the The name Persia is derived from Greek. Um, it's because the Greeks believed that that Persia was sort of the the Persians were the descendants of of Perseus. This is a pretty common thing in like greek and classical sort of mythology and history where they sort of rationalize like where did the egyptians come from where did these people come from for the greeks the persians were the descendants of perseus uh the was perseus a like a god was he a demigod what, what he was like a, he was like a greek hero he's the one with the 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 pegasus he okay. sort of, so sort you of never saw guy. okay okay uh what was that tv show um, so I've seen like it Ulysses so many now. times, Steve. The the really popular one with Medusa. Uh, Challenge of the Heroes or something like that. I mean, Clash of the Titans? Cla the, ori <laughs> the original Clash of the Titans. That's a, that's uh, like a movie. The, like the 1981 one. Yeah, that's, that, I'm pretty sure that's Perseus, yeah. It is Perseus. Yeah, he's like the main protagonist in it. And because the Persians had such advanced, you know, robotic owl technology, they were able to just clown on the Greeks constantly until <laughs> until Thermopylae. Bro, if you got if you got steampunk owl tech, I mean, <laughs> you're way ahead of the game. Apparently, they had elephants. <laughs> um, and 
Persia during a lot of this history, up until like Alexander the Great, um, really puts a dent in them. Uh, they they stop being as big of a power, and then they're usually at odds after that with the Roman Empire, the the successive sort of governments that that take over there, and then they also come into conflict with the Ottoman Empire. Um, Persia, though, is also sort of at odds with the rest of the the Muslim world, kind of like how um, Iran is today, because the people of Persia are predominantly Shiites, whereas um, the the Middle East, um, is sort of what we consider most of the Middle East, is uh, predominantly Sunni. And just so we're clear, the United States has a history of backing Sunni allies, not Shiites. Actually, or do it, we or do we back Shiites, or do we just back whoever the fuck as long as they're cool with us? It, it's whoever, um, because because the the Shah of Iran, who we'll get to, who's, who's usually referred to as the Shah, even though he's not like the only Shah, right. he himself was a devout Shiite, which we'll talk about a little bit. Okay. The, it, so the first sort of area we're going to come into is around like the 18th century. Um, Persia starts to be ruled by this group called the. Uh, the, the Quajar um, dynasty. The Quajars are this like sort of Turkic tribal group, um, but but over time, um, after taking over what is today Persia or, or Iran, um, they they become more um, more Persian. Like they they sort of adopt into the local culture, um, sort of in the same way that the Manchus did in China in a sense, and they they just become more more Persian over time. Okay. Um, and they, they rule as absolute monarchs until there's a constitutional revolution in the early 1900s in Persia, which we'll talk about. Um, Persia, throughout a lot of the 19th century, had been a target of, of what was referred to as the Great Game, which is sort of this colonial... You lost. Sort of, you just talked about it. <laughs> no, this oh, is man. the greatest game. <laughs> Wait, no, that's... You're talking about... Are you talking about Chardy McDennis? <laughs> yes, the greatest game. To the game it, of games. And all of the all of the great powers of Europe, you know, uh, Great Britain, France, um, Russia, later Germany, um, they, they sort of vie with each other for influence and, and colonies. And one such area that was seen as being very strategic was Persia, uh, mainly to the the British and the Russians. Um, this is because the, the Russians believed. Oh, well, this is this is before we even get to oil because oil doesn't really become a thing until the early 20th century um, ah, for Iran. Okay, I didn't realize we were this far behind. Okay, and so Persia is believed to be integral to Russia's defense of the Caucasus region, which is where it gets you know most of its. Um, hydrocarbons so gas and oil and stuff like that mm-hmm. um and then britain wants it because they they see it as sort of a, an outlying area um before afghanistan which at that time is, is a quasi colony protectorate and in india which is seen as sort of the jewel of the british empire now when we're speaking specifically about the persian empire in the was it you said the 18th century we're in right now the, the 1700s we're in the 19th century 19th century okay so the 1800s um we're not talking specifically about Iran and the borders that, you know, you're, you're going to think of today being Iran. Because it's very, like, you had, like, Partha and all the other foolish little city-states in there. And it wasn't as clearly outlined as it is today. So you, you got to think the Persia, like, especially way before 
uh, we're talking about now, was almost entirely the Middle East. Like, almost the entire Middle East, with the exception of, like, Arabia, would well, be considered under Persian at some point. Well, that's... Well, yeah, well, but we're not talking... This This is after, like, you know, the Ottoman Empire takes everything up to Iraq, and then um, Iraq um, is, is sort of where um, Persia, which we're talking about, um, borders in. So... It's like Iraq, <coughs> Iran... Ryan, well, what he's trying to say is that the Ottoman Empire was so relaxed and reclined that they were... I'll stop there. <laughs> so, what the, the Persia we're talking about right now during this period is about the same size as modern Iran. It, its borders go um, up into the Caucasus, about, um, about to Azerbaijan. Um, parts of what is modern-day Azerbaijan are, are in... Um, are in um, Iran, um, but those will get lost um, over time. Okay. So these two powers view Iran as being like integral to their own empires. So they're always eyeing it, and they're always keeping um, keeping an eye on what's going on there, um, and, and moving in if they need to, if they feel that that their interests are threatened. In in 1908, um, this. This British oil company is founded in Iran. It's called the Anglo-Persian Oil Company, um, APOC. And it's founded in 1908, and it's the first oil company ever established in Iran. My God, that's fucking a weird name. Weird acronym. It's You, you get this a lot in, in oil company names, because if you've heard of Aramco... No. Uh, Aramco is like the major um, oil company in Saudi Arabia... And it was established by the United States and Saudi Arabia, so it's referred to. It, it's an acronym for the the Arabian American um, Oil Company. My favorite one was uh, when we went to Iraq in the second time, and people kept calling it Operation Iraqi Liberation. <laughs> Isn't APAC or APOC? I'm sorry, APOC, XPAC, whatever. Um, I, the- <laughs> I thought it was the one, two, three kid. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I thought okay, but for real, I thought APOC it, or is it is isn't APOC like the 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 prelimin the, the preliminary BP? Well, yes. It it nineteen thirty five it gets renamed to the Anglo Iranian Oil Company, and then um, in nineteen fifty four it gets merged into what becomes British Petroleum, which was okay. multiple companies. Okay. So that, that's what you're referring to with the Great Game, then, right? It's just the colonialism thing. Yeah, it's like a colonialism thing. Um, just to, so, sort of how the United States does, or, or I'd say even more so in the Cold War, not as much today. Whereas, like, they want to have capitalist um, governments that are in place so that they that they know they can count on them for trade and markets. Um, and they want to deprive the Soviet Union of said resources and markets. The same is kind of for the great game these great powers you know they want to take over these these areas in in asia and africa and they want to use the resources there and they want to deprive their rivals of the resources makes sense um and this this company it was it was sort of um negotiated in 1901 this british socialite named um, william knox darcy he negotiates a concession with the the government of persia um, he funds most of it with money earned from a mine. Um, he owns shares in a mine in, in Queensland, Australia, the Mount Morgan mine, 
which was the was site of mining. one of those gold rushes that we talked about. So a gold mine? Okay. And then um, he had exclusive uh, prospector rights for 60 years as part of the deal. Um, the Shah was paid um, at that time 20,000 pounds, which is about 2.1 million pounds today. And an amount of shares, an equal amount of shares in, in Darcy's company, so that that much in stock, and then a promise of 16% of future profits. Just 16%. for allowing them to drill. Yes. Um, and then um, he, he would get also the like the money that they would make. He, he would get a cut. Because you have to remember during this time, the the Shah is like a absolute monarch, so he is the state. Hmm. And, and, and unlike in, like, say, the UK, where they have um, the Magna Carta and all these other documents, you know, since they don't have a constitution that sort of limit the power of the monarch and their ability to spend, the, the Quasar Shah at this time, he does not have such documents, so he can just decide, you know, to, to rob the country of its mineral wealth and then just sell it off to foreign powers. Well, that's the greatest part about being a dictatorial <clears throat> government. <clears throat> Yeah, you can just basically take shit and sell it. Kind of, kind of like jumping ahead. I just think it's kind of, it's kind of fucked up how you had the UK come in there and kind of just be like, "Hey, so um, this is our company. Um, we'll give you some of it, but we're pretty much going to take your shit that's worth so much more than oh, you realize." It, it, Thank you. It, it gets better. Um, oh yeah. Oh, whenever the UK so, is involved, it gets better. Yeah, there's no, there's, there's no rock bottom for the UK. <laughs> Um, Darcy hires this geologist named George Bernard Reynolds um, to, to sort of prospect for oil, but he's not able to find any for some time. So this goes on for about until 1908. So there's seven years of them sort of going around the desert looking for oil, and they're not finding any. Um, and, and Darcy is eventually forced to sell most of his rights to this Glasgow-based um, oil company called the Burma Oil Company. In, in 1908... Um, Darcy and the Burma Company, they, they decide that they're going to abandon the venture um, because they've spent about 500,000 pounds on it. Um, so if you take, so you would times that by about um, probably around 100 oh, to, to get what its money. modern value. Um, they spent some money. But um, Reynolds sort of delays leaving. Like he, he comes with, with excuses not to leave and he strikes oil on May 26, 1908. That's pretty quick. Um, yeah. Um, so in... <laughs> Did you say pretty quick? Yeah. <laughs> They've been it's like he knew. To find oil. They ain't find it yet. And all of a sudden it's like, not nah, come home. Oh, just kidding. I found it. <laughs> he, he, had a, he had a dowsing rod. He just hadn't, hadn't got oh it properly God. tuned up yet. <laughs> he didn't have it tuned for oil. He had it tuned for water still. <laughs> Useless oasis. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Oh man, that's good. All right, anyway, so dousing rod finally works. He finds oil May nineteen oh eight. Yeah. Um, so while this is all going on, um, there there begins to happen a, a constitutional revolution in Persia, and it, it sort of starts in nineteen oh five. And in nineteen oh six, after these sort of protests and and sort of fighting that go on inside of Persia, um, a constitution is introduced, and the idea was to limit foreign influence and the excess of the aristocracy who were very sort of corrupt um, and abusive in their power and, and there was sort of this idea very much like in China 
um, during this time period. You know that the aristocracy had, had sort of gone too far. They they were they were not being effective, and they had sold out the interests of the country to foreign powers. So, I think it's important to really stress here for our listeners that it was not an Islamic republic yet. Like, because it's difficult for me listening already not to look at Iran that way, even when you're talking about it historically. So when you say constitutional revolution, I'm like, how'd that work? You know, you, know, you really, if you really want your mind blown, just um, Google photos of like Afghanistan, Iran. Oh, I know all about that. 40s. Yeah, I know yeah, all about God, that. I know, it's, it's I know about that. Well, even in like the 60s and 70s, Iran was, you know, they had like, those fucking photos they pass around. Fucking numbnuts. Yeah, but those are, those are kind of like... The, the thing sh- about those is they, they they lie. They're yeah. they're they're not. You're not seeing the whole picture. Nah. It's like anyone anyone who does that, you should point out to them because they're probably going to be on sort of like they're going to be a little chudly probably. Yeah, absolutely. Hundred percent. Little little chuddish. And you should you should point out to them. You know, all the pictures of like success in the Soviet Union. Like like all the stuff they put out that was like that was very obviously fake that we know today, but of just like success and like like how much everybody has and like all that and be like, well, you know, it shows here, you know, everybody in the Soviet Union had like all this like great wealth and you know everything. So yeah, exactly. No, I'm not saying that they're uh, you know outside of having more context, they're representative of anything other than just a few pictures, but. I do yeah. know that there is history in that part of the world where there was more of a an open country. It, it's it's still, pretty backwards. It, right. It's pretty backwards, but like most of the world by today's standards is backwards now. Like if you went into like the backwoods of the South in America, I don't think it would be that much different than going to like the backwoods in in like in like Persia to a degree. Because you know a lot of places you know didn't have electricity, didn't have running water. Sure. Stuff like that. It's just people living, you know, very primitive lifestyles. You know, public education is not something that's provided for. Um, So the country itself is um, somewhat below the, I would say, what the world standard is. But for a country, you know, like like or Persia during this period, um, I I would say it's pretty average in terms of what's going on. But but the people there do realize, you know, especially the educated people know that like Persia is not in a good state. At that like time, there's something coming down the pipe yes. that doesn't look good. Okay. Um. So, well, and even during this period, because this is why they're asking for, um, for a constitution, because a constitution is not something you would just like come up with under like an absolute monarchy. Um, it, it's something you have to sort of like get from outside because it's not a it's not a common like custom under the system. Okay. Because, like, for instance, if you look what do you, at what do you other, mean? I'm sorry. What do you mean? Ask for from outside? Well, you have to. You, it's something you have to not ask for. You have to study for it. Okay. You have to. You, you have you to. Would, it's a very specific request, is what you're saying. You'd have to be exposed to it because a lot of the ideas of like the the Constitution from American mindset comes out of sort of this like English legal tradition. Sure. Sure. And, and the idea that you can limit the powers of the monarch, like this, is something that sort of comes from abroad. Because during this time, you know, the the Shah is an absolute monarch. Like the idea is, you know, he rules, and then and then somebody who's strong enough like kicks him out, and then they take over. Yeah, there there isn't really this like big thing. Jeff's of, in like, charge, and now it's Phil. There there isn't like a in, in monarchical systems like this. Like Thailand is like this today, 
where even though they have like they they sort of have a parliament, it's still very much an absolute monarchy. Um, so to to get off that digression, um, they they sort of put in this constitution, um, but in 1908, um, the the UK and Russia invade Persia, and they bombard the parliament. Um, because they're they're sort of upset with what's going on in Persia and they want to sort of take control of the situation. Excuse me. And then after they bombard the parliament, um, the constitution is suspended um, under this like brief occupation, and they don't really like leave. But during this time period, it's very much like the occupation that will happen later on during World War Two. And in 1909, the constitution is is reinstated. Um, there, there's a popular uprising that marches on Tehran. Um, they forced the current Shah, uh, Muhammad Ali Shah, um, to abdicate, and his his son, who's pretty young at the time, um, Ahmed Shah uh, Qajar, um, he takes over. And um, he's, was it he's called also, was it called Tehran at the time? Yes, it was called Tehran. Okay. And he is um, he, he's he's not very experienced. He's, he's very young. Um, he's very ineffective. <laughs> and, and during World War Two. Persia is officially neutral, um, but the UK and Russia, um, they stationed troops in Persia, and the Ottoman Empire um, sought to um, sort of invade the Caucasus through Persia, um, but they're able to sort of hold them off. Um, so during this time period, you have three separate countries that are sort of controlling different regions of Persia, and they treat it as sort of occupied territory. Um, so the UK, Russia, and the Ottoman Empire are, are just sort of, you know, bossing people around and, like, sort of acting as though it's their territory. Hmm. Um, this, this sort of um, situation causes people to lose respect for the Quajars because um, they, they see this as them failing Persia and that, you know, these foreign powers are going to take over. Okay. Um, and, and this all sort of comes to a head in, in 1920. Um, it... it as we had talked about before um, in the Russian Revolution, um, the parts of Russia that are in the, the far south, um, they're included in this revolution. And some other areas that were a part of the Ottoman Empire and also part of Persia sort of join in on this revolt. Um, the Armenians are, are one within the Ottoman Empire. And with in Persia, you have a Soviet Republic of Persia, um, which is established in this like far northern province called Gulan. Um, which is sort of like a north, um, central, um, western province. Still within Iran's current, like, nowadays borders? Yeah. Okay. And it's it's set up with the assistance of the Red Army, um, but it would collapse in late 1921 due to, like, not having any public support. The, okay. the, and, the I'm, and I'm I'm assuming that the Russians didn't do that, like, to be nice and prop up the area economically, I'm sure, uh... Well, it's it's just in general the um, the, the common people aren't, aren't really jiving with what communism's trying to sell them because um, you have to remember this is also like the the Russian Revolution, so it's not like the Russians have anything to give them. So it's mostly just sort of these um, sort of intellectuals just just sort of um, telling them what they should do. And, and there's also sort of other bands. Um, they they don't really like the bands on Islam and stuff like that. Um, so it's not very popular. How much of a problem is that? Like, not to digress again, but to digress again. How much? Uh, <laughs> how much of a problem is that the anti-intellectualist vibe at that time? I would say that it's probably not very high, 
because um, you do have this, this sort of a class of, of sort of scholarly um, like Muslim priesthood, which is sort of like the the Ayatollahs, um, who, are, who are sort of like cardinals, and then the, the leaders under them. Um, so there is a tradition of sort of scholarship. Um, it, it's just sort of people who want to like upset the apple cart, and instead of being like, like we're going to institute a constitution and we're going to gradually, you know, give you more freedoms and protections. It's more like we're going to completely upturn your entire life and just start collectivizing and doing all these like crazy things. Right, and the people who didn't have it so bad at the time, not to speak of the the time as being unbad, uh, didn't want people to just come in and fuck shit up, basically. Yeah, it it just sort of it just sort of turned over the apple cart, and, and they wanted no part in it. Um, but Steve, during- no one in 2020 knows what an apple cart is, bro. <laughs> it was this device that was used Apple to carry store? iPads. Shop in the Apple Store. It's a it's a shopping cart full of iPads. You, you there you go, millennials. Your, you can see one at your local geek bar. Your fucking Apple cart. <laughs> geek bar. Isn't that what they call it? Isn't it a geek bar? I think it is. It's something like that. I know that Best Buy has a geek squad. I just want to give a shout out to Best Buy. Fuck Best Buy. Whoa. <laughs> We're never going to get that. Not looking for the Best Buy sponsorship. <laughs> Clearly. Um, I think we could get fries, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure we can buy fries at this point. <laughs> we can pool our money for seventeen fifty. We can buy fries. <laughs> um, and... And even though this republic exists and it's not really like much of an entity, there are fears um, that this republic is going to like move on Tehran. Um, mm. So coupled with the ongoing corruption and unrest in Persia, uh, the British urged what was called the Cossack Brigade to overthrow um, Ahmed. And the Cossack Brigade is really like the only established army in Iran at the, or in Persia at this time. So the, by urge, what do you mean? Purge. Oh, no, 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 no. You said the oh, British purge. urge. Yeah. Yeah, they, they just sort of tell him that, like, you have our blessing to, like, remove uh, this guy from okay. power. Okay. Um, are we are we talking about the Cossacks? Well, the thing is... Is that is what that, you said? Yeah. Is that what you said? That, okay. Because... Like, like, like the horse guys. Yes. the Like okay. a Russian, like... Oh, Cossacks. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought he said. Okay. So yeah. Cossacks. They, and Cossacks are the guys that are always on the horse and they're really good militarily and they're like the guys that you have in the risk. <laughs> yes. They, they have risk. They live, the eat, and, and die on a horse. <laughs> they fucking take shits off the horse. They do everything on the horse. The, the Cossack Brigade <laughs> is um, they're, they're the only established sort of military in Persia at this time, um, aside from like irregular sort of units that pop up. So huh. the only really standing army, um, they're mostly sort of the descendants of, of Russians. Which Wait, the, what year is this? I'm sorry. This is what in 19, is 1920. Okay. okay. I thought I thought this was like post-World War II. No, this is... Like this I, I was going to be like, uh... <laughs> so they're the, they're the only modern sort of official standing military force. Okay. Um, so the, the head of this Cossack brigade, Reza Khan... He is the first Persian brigadier general of the Cossack Brigade. He himself is descended from Georgian immigrants. I've heard that name before. And he overthrows uh, the Quajar Shah um, by 1925, and and he is established as Shah. 
Um, okay. the, the, the Parliament essentially, I, I, I didn't see like how much like prodding was given, but they pretty much assent to him being the new Shah. And this is also supported by the UK. Um, so the UK liked this guy. And he would he would take this on guy the, must have been the surname uh, Pallavi <laughs> because because um, during this time period, uh, most people in Persia don't have sort of surnames unless you're an aristocrat. You you don't have a surname, and he was not. So his he he makes his surname uh, Pallavi. And he hmm. changes his name. His his name was originally Reza Khan, but he changes it to Reza Shah. Because uh, because a Khan, a, a Khan is also sort of like a, a king emperor type figure. So he's he's just sort of uh, making it more regional. I'm just clarifying. <laughs> he was he was also known to be incredibly violent, and he would be prone to bouts of anger. One of the things he was known to do was that if any of his men disobeyed his orders or he believed that they had or failed him, he would kick them in the groin. <laughs> so he's just walking around Rochambeauing his fucking troops. Yeah. Oh, did you fuck that up? Give me your nuts. <laughs> he also, like, he, he would straight up be, like, one of those, like, dads who, like, cries into, like, his, like, Lee cuisine or whatever uh, on oh Christmas. My God because he's like sort of destroyed his own family with his like love of toxic masculinity because he believed like his sort of theory that he had was that if you showed kindness and love to your sons as a father it would cause them to become homosexuals so he showed uh, his children no affection at all like he almost ignored his son so anyway always, i just i just want you to know Irish. that our <laughs> Our first uh, trilateral troika T-shirt is going to be the Shah of Iran crying into a lean cuisine on Christmas. Oh my fucking god! Yeah, I'm gonna and I'm gonna that. I'm gonna get some anime artists to fucking uh, commission it. It has to. You have to make sure that it's right, Reza Shah, <laughs> and Reza Shah sort of looks like Armstrong from Full Metal Alchemist. Like he's got that huge like handlebar mustache and bald head. Hmm. Okay. It's not uh, his kid, right? No, his his um the you know, you know the, who I'm talking about Ma- Muhammad was it Pavli, pa- uh, Muhammad Pavli? Reza. So Muhammad Reza is his oldest son. He is a um, yeah. Had, so we're talking about the the original Reza, the Reza, the Shiza. Yeah, this, this is Muhammad's. <laughs> this is Muhammad's dad. Okay. Um, and okay. he has he has a twin sister as well, which he's very close to. Um, and, and part of because of his his dad's like sort of situation and treating his son, he's mostly around like the women in his life, which is like his mother, his sisters. Um, so they influence him more than his father does. And because of that, he's like incredibly insecure. He has like no confidence whatsoever because his father is like this overbearing like psychopath. And he he just spends all his time around like because he can never like live up to his expectations and he doesn't believe mm-hmm. he can ever live up to those expectations, so he he just spends all his time around his mom and his sisters, and his thereby mom, and thereby becomes homosexual. No, <laughs> probably probably the opposite. I'm um, saying like like it's just classic like bullshit that uh, he said. He's had like th- he has like three wives by the time he dies. Oh my god! And and all of them are like I mean, realistic. I like that, models. That doesn't essentially. mean <laughs> It doesn't mean anything. No, he, 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 he has yeah, a bunch I'm of not, kids. Too. I'm not suggesting that uh, that 
homosexual is n- a nurture behavior anyway. But, well, well, the thing about that too is I would just give the example of um, the Sultan of Oman. Oh, dude, he, don't even the one who, Oman the one is just, a fucked up place, dude. No, Oman is, is Oman is awesome. I was about to say, I thought Oman was cool. Yeah, it's incredibly stable. Um, they're they're pretty neutral. The, now the or at the time? Uh, at, at the time, it was messed up. But I'm saying today, the the Sultan of Oman who just recently died, he was believed to have been homosexual because he never married and he had no male heirs. Hmm. So he he just sort of wrote in an envelope. He said if they couldn't figure out who would be the next Sultan, um, he would just write it down. So it's not like. So they he, thought he was gay just because he didn't have any male kids. No, See? no, it was it was just sort of a running like rumor about him because he never he never married. He was never seen with any women. Right. Um, and and he was like one of the most eligible bachelors in the world in like the sixties. Maybe he just kept it chill. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he could yeah, just keep it chill. Man, but he could keep it chill either way. Yeah. I'm saying just to follow up what I was saying, uh, that just goes to show you that you can't trust anecdotal information. I'll say that much. But the rest of it's the, personal. My, someone told me about My point about that is, though, that if you are, you know, like an absolute monarch, which essentially these people are, you can do whatever you want. Exactly. Um, so his, his mother, uh, Taj, Taj Omolok, she's the uh, queen consort, and she is obsessed with, like, superstition. Um, she, she, like, sacrifices lambs. Like, she sort of does this sort of, like... <laughs> Is like Persian, me? like <laughs> yeah, she's doing. She's like, Abaqua. She's, got, she's she like, has a complete set of dolls. Like Does she know she's Joey Diaz? She's got a complete set of dolls. You know, she's Let got. Me Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, Razor. I knew this girl in Newark. She cut her fingernails. Joe Rogan. And she fed me her fingernails. Talking about Santaria and all this other. I knew it took exactly thirteen episodes for us to do a fucking Joey Diaz bit again. <laughs> This um, is why, like, we didn't even post our first. Let me tell you something. My, my mother used to walk around all day sacrificing lambs. <laughs> she she believes in like uh, like protective amulets, like making your children wear these to protect them from the evil eye, which is like a very common thing in like in, in sort of like Middle Eastern and in South uh, Central Asian sort of like folklore. Yeah, and New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> She also she also believes in like like prophetic dreams and stuff like that, and she believes that Muhammad Reza is destined um, for for like great things, and that he's like chosen to have like this great destiny, and that has like a really big impact on him. And, and we'll sort of talk about that later on. In this so what life. you're saying is that Muhammad Reza's mom believes he is a good boy. She believes he's like the golden child that he's like chosen. Nothing, all moms. nothing new under the sun. Well, no, yeah, it's, it's all moms. It, oh, he's such a good. He's the best boy. It's it's not just like oh my my boy Muhammad. He's such a good boy. It's like it's like my son will be the greatest king that ever lived on this earth. Oh, so she's so, so you're saying she's, she's, like, she's delusional? Yeah, she's, she's, a pop, she's a pop Warner mom. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is like straight up like every kid who has like overbearing parents. Me and Tommy's father are thinking of changing our name to Erlacher because he's just gonna be that good. But he um, likes to play offense, and we're really not we're not with that. We're not cool with that. It's too. It's just not good. Defense. Um, defense. Well, well, this is going on, and I I would like to note as well that uh, Muhammad Reza is born in 1919, so he is actually like of age, like where he actually is conscious by the point that his father becomes Shah. So his father doesn't become Shah. He was born. 
his his father doesn't become Shah until Re- Muhammad Reza is like six, so he 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 knows what his life was like before his father became the Shah. Yeah, so that also has like an impact on him. He is not like and he, he wasn't raised for the job. No, and six in nineteen twenty five is like thirty. So yeah. He he's already like he's, they're already signing him up for a trade. He's trade got a two pack a day habit. Got a midlife crisis already. Yeah, he's got, got a, more than one pair of shoes. <laughs> he's yeah, he's going. Yeah. Um. So <clears throat> during this time, uh, Reza Shah is trying to modernize Persia, but but his attempts are seen as being like too fast, superficial, and, and tyrannical by his opponents. You know, some people sort of hold him up as like this modernizer, but a lot of his critics say that he was just like too overbearing and it wasn't really anything that was beneficial. Was it like because he was trying to like nationalize like the mail or something and when they got mad about it he kicked the postman in the balls? (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I imagine he did probably kick a postman in the balls once. (laughs) Real quick, have we already and I don't know if I missed this, do we already pass where Iran or Persia, I guess, if we're still in that time period, attempted to nationalize oil and got told how no, you were taking that. We now. haven't. That that happens in the fifties. That will yeah. happen sort of at the end. Dude, Brian, Brian, you're so excited. Listen, <laughs> this this stuff is like the okay. If you look at this period in time and you kind of just take it, it's the most it interesting is. period in history. In not even close, yeah. but it is a very interesting like look into imperialism capitalism yeah just how fucking shitty it is wait you and disagree you that it's beginning. that it's the most Im- interesting period of history absolutely i think there's more interesting periods. I, yeah i'll respect that i mean i just think it is because there's so much documentation as to what happened like we know so much minutiae yeah, i'm not saying about it's it. not interesting otherwise we couldn't do this episode no. yeah no the complete opposite it's a very interesting period but yeah i respect like that you can see you can see imperialism and you can see like exceptionalism just 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 kind of well, beneath the surface you wouldn't say happen. sorry i'm not interviewing ryan here uh, steve i'm saying you wouldn't say that the effects of the things that Steve is telling us about are still being felt today. Absolutely, without question. It's 2020. But, yeah. It's like it's over a hundred years. It's over almost a hundred years later. This you is know. yeah. This is sort of the genesis of of like modern um, Iran, um, which is a, s- a separate question, by the way. To be fair, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, to be um, fair. But in from. <laughs> I love that we all got that. All right, good. Good, Steve, um, sorry. From, from 1931 to 1933, um, Persia tries to renegotiate the terms of the Darcy concession um, due, due to essentially the change of the government. With Britain? Um, and the profitability of the concession, yes. Um, because it's a British company, they, they sort of negotiate this through the British government. And because of um, the, the Great Depression, um, oil prices had fallen, um, within the span of a, a couple of years, the price of oil had gone down to like one fifth what it originally was, and because fluctuations are common, um, the the Iranian government is not getting as much of a percentage of the profits as they would like. That, and you also have to understand that at this point in history, the UK or England or how you know whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call them, they're still technically the big dick in the locker room. So Iran can't just be like. Bitch, we're not. No, we're keeping our oil because the UK would just then come in and be like, "Yeah, but we're just going to take it now because you didn't want to come to the table and do it democratically." 
Um, the, the argument that the Persians come in with is that because the, the previous Shah, the, the Quajar Shah, was not a constitutional monarch, and that they believe that the money should go to the people of Persia. It absolutely should. Um, on, on November of 1932, um, he, he had sort of been absent during the, the negotiations, but Reza Shah inserts himself in, and he um, he does this because he feels that the minister of court, um, Abdul uh, Hossein uh, Temartash, um, he believes that he, he's unable to broker a deal. I'm sure he probably also like kicked him in the balls. Um, <laughs> Can we just call him like the Roshimbosha? Like <laughs> Roshimbosha. The Rizzo, can we just call him like the Roshimbo? Um, the and the the argument that they make though, of what they want to change the concession to, and and their demands aren't really that like that crazy. Is that um, they demand twenty five percent of Apoc's total shares? So they want to go argue, from sixteen to twenty five. Yeah, and they argue that if the deal had been modern, they would have asked for 50%. Because 50% is like what the standard is. Um, it's kind of crazy that they just let Britain come in and take, and, and they just took 16% of something that's a national resource. But really. A foreign we, country just came in and said, so well, listen, we're going to give you something. Quick answer to the question, Steve. Quick answer to this question. Is that mainly because there was not a modern, unified government with a fully functioning military. Why? Well, I, I think the main reason why it happened was that... Um, he said quick. <laughs> the, 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 Shah, the Shah at that time didn't know what oil was or like what the value of it was. Like, like I'm sure he knew what oil was, but I'm sure he didn't know like how much it would be worth. Right. So he didn't think to negotiate like that much and the fact that like so he's like even found... he's like jed clampett i well, can see like some fucking uk british slick talking piece of shit coming in and be like oh then chap uh this this black stuff coming out the ground uh, it really ain't nothing bit of a mess isn't it <laughs> isn't it it's all slimy you get it on your hands you, can't, you gotta wash your hands it, it's, it got, isn't it is such a mess it. we could clean it up for you Nope. You don't even have cars. You got camels. No problem at all. <laughs> they don't have camels in Iran. <sighs> yeah, they do. No, it's too mountainous. Yeah. The the climate's bad for camels. I'm not I joking. Didn't. I swear to God, I've seen pictures of camels in Iran. They bring it up in uh, they bring it up in Persepolis. Unless it was just like a, a tourist attraction, like hey, we we imported camels. So I'm I'm sure them. in some of like the southern like predominantly like Arab regions, they might have some. But like in most of Iran, it's too mountainous and the the terrain's too rocky for camels. All right then. Um, elephants, whatever. <laughs> you got elephants. All right, so they negotiate the percentage to twenty five yeah. from and, sixteen. And it was, I would say, it was mostly a case of he didn't know what he was sitting on, and at this time he didn't know that Iran quite literally like one of the largest like oil producing countries in the world. The unfortunate thing is he can't go back. We don't, we don't even have the... I mean, it's 1930-whatever, right? We don't, they didn't even have the science to know they were one of the large soil producers. Yeah, they don't... They, well, they, they know it's, like, one of the biggest, and we'll get to that. Well, does um, Britain know, or does Iran know? No, everybody knows. Oh, wow. Um, so, Persia the Bluff notifies APOC that it would end negotiations and cancel the concession. Um, so they do this, and the British, um, they, they bring the case to the Permanent Court of International Justice at The Hague... Um, they had hey, been we invaded this country and took their natural resources. We think we think we shouldn't have to pay them as much. Well, it was they didn't even invade. It was just a legal agreement. 
Um, I mean, it's still technically an invasion because that's not where that's not their territory. It's not their land. They're but, just coming in. But I a mean, foreign it's legal. A, a foreign national can make an agreement with a foreign government. It's not. I'm not saying it's illegal. I'm just saying it's still these people came in, took their natural <coughs> resource. It would, didn't I would give what it was for. Didn't, I, they, well, didn't pay him what it was worth. Well, I would say, say this is this is them taking advantage of them. I wouldn't say yeah, like, yeah that's true. It, it's it's very similar to sort of like the deals that were given to like Native Americans, where okay, so yeah, all right, so not an invasion. This is, they were this, taking advantage of. But can you imagine going to a high court and be like, I was trying to take advantage of these people, and they didn't have it, and I I feel like I should be able to take advantage of these people. Like, God, <laughs> such a shitty fucking thing. But eventually, uh, Reza Shah would would come around in April of 1933 um, after being privately visited by the chairman of APOC, um, John Cadman. Oh, he came around after a private visit? Okay. The the terms of the new agreement was that they would have a 60-year concession. Um, The agreement reduced the area under APOC control to 100,000 square miles. Um, it required annual payments in lieu of Iranian income tax, which they were only paying at this point. I think it was like 3% income tax on it. And, and it would as well guarantee a minimum annual payment of 750,000 pounds to the Iranian government. Um, Corporations a- have been shit. A- APOC also <laughs> promised to give laborers better pay and a more chance for advancement, you know, build schools, hospitals, roads, and telephone systems. Um, but they, they never delivered on these promises. <laughs> Corporations continue to be absolute fucking garbage. Okay. In in 1935, um, Reza Shah changes the name of Persia to Iran, and this is something like the the country did it, and all foreign powers had to refer to Persia as Iran from now on. And his logic was that he claimed that because Persia is a foreign name, it's it's based on Greek, sort of like how you know our our name for china is a foreign name it's not what chinese people refer to china as what do they refer to what it do as they refer to china as uh jungle i didn't know that the oh. the middle kingdom no, like they like they call it china in english but like the, the like in in china the chinese people call it you know jungle um so the he changes to iran um which means land of the aryans and one of the reasons <laughs> well because he, 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 received, he received a call from Heinrich Himmler and Otto <laughs> Rahm. So listen, we're going to let you call yourself Arians as long as you uh, give all your oil to the BP company. Um, and so, because like when you talk about like Indo, Indo-Aryan peoples, like like these these are the Aryans and the Indo-Aryan people. So it is it is not like them saying like we're secretly a people descended from like giants that arose from the tears of a meteorite or whatever it, it's yeah. them it's them saying you know what's wrong with that i mean it's <laughs> he and, and one of the theories of why he does this is also is to appeal to nazi germany um because he is um he for one like persia has sort of favored germany because when germany emerged onto the world stage in like the late 19th century um they had not had colonial interests in Persia, like Russia and the UK did, so they felt that Germany was a good counterbalance. And I mean, I can I can understand that line of thinking if you don't know how horrific the Nazi Party is going to be, 
well, you have, you know, well, a bunch of people that are trying to fuck you over, and then well, you got the Nazis who are kind of like, eh, I can see them. I can see it if you don't know, have, like, if you don't know any better, and well, you're just trying to find allies where you can find them. Well, this has also been going on since, like, the 19th century. Like, they've, they've felt favorably of the Germans as somebody who dealt with them fairly, because the Germans don't have the ability to, like, sort of boss them around like the Russians and the British do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and Reza Shah apparently also personally admired Hitler, um, because he's, okay, all well, right, never mind. Not <laughs> not not for like anti-Semitism or anything like that. He saw them as somebody who like sort of rose from obscurity to power. Like he he went from being like a nobody, like army officer, to becoming like one of the most powerful leaders in the world. So, is this like the modern day version of somebody being like, I just think Hitler was a really good orator and a great speaker. I. I wouldn't go that far. I think it's just like he's like, like somebody's like I really like Napoleon because I feel like like Tom Cruise's like fetish for him being like Napoleon in a past life. Like okay, he, he's I mean, just he's like, the same height. He it, it's it's more of like a game respects game type situation where he's just like he's just like I rose from nothing. That man rose from nothing. We 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 see alike. I, I don't think they ever really like interacted. Um, okay. because what happens is in that um. In the 1940s, um, Iran is becoming like more and more important to the British and the, the Russians, uh, the USSR. Um, the main reason it's important to the British is because the Abaddon refinery is there, and it's the largest refinery in the world. The uh, Abaddon refineries? Yeah. <laughs> the Eddie Bravo skit begins. <laughs> oh my god. And, and it also, it produced about Eight million tons of oil in 1940. So, um, but, listen. Now that we're going to talk about oil, real quick. Side note: more than you know, like the little star going across. Do 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 do. Um, the United States uses the the oil that we use here in the United States is primarily comes from our stockpile. The oil that we get from places like Saudi Arabia and the Middle East actually goes into our national. Um, what do you call it? The national holdings, national reserve. So there you go. If anybody tells you that the gas prices are related directly to the Middle East, they're dumb. Most yeah. of the gas that we use is directly refined here in the United States. Well, the the biggest the biggest factor on on Ryan, gas you better check today. your door locks, buddy. <laughs> oh, I know they, they're going to come kick it in later on tonight. I'm done. Going to be a lot of a lot of suicides this season. <laughs> people people falling down ele- elevator shafts on the eight bullets. What happened to Ryan? Uh, uh, yeah, he he uh, blew the cover on oil in America. <laughs> Big oil. <laughs> On his 31 follower podcast. <laughs> well, we tried to get him, but he paramedicked himself. <laughs> Those EMT skills came in handy. Somehow. Um, so most of the most of the oil that the Royal Navy like relies on is coming out of Persia. And so it's strategically important for them. And there's also a country that doesn't have a lot of oil that needs a lot of oil for their war effort, and that's Germany. Um, so two of the big areas that Germany was focused on for oil was the Middle East and also the Caucasus region of Russia, which is where most of Russia's oil comes from. Um, and the the Soviet Union also relies on uh, Persia as, as sort of like a crossroads for their lend-lease aid from the Allied powers. Um, it's referred to as the Persian Corridor, and, and Great Britain would send uh, material um, by train into the USSR from that area. Um, so a lot of tanks and material are being sent into the Soviet Union after um, the Nazis invade in 1941. Hmm. 
Okay. Um, and, and also, too, as I said, the caucus is very um, it's strategically important to the Soviet war effort and, and the Nazis had wished to secure it. So there is a fear that Reza Shah might switch um, Persia's allegiance to the Axis powers and that he could threaten uh, the caucus region of the Soviet Union, which they're not as prepared to defend because they're busy fighting off the, the Germans elsewhere. Don't they have a bunch of people on horseback? Isn't that pretty much a standing army at this point? Of the if of Persia, the Persians. No, they actually have like a they as as part of like Reza Shah's like uh, modernization. They actually have like an actual military. Okay, so it's not like thirty-two dudes on horses anymore. No, and and his son is also an officer in it as well. Um, okay. it, it's sort of like that tradition, like, like all the British Royals, like all the men usually end up serving in like the army or the Navy. It, it's sort of the yeah. same. They end okay. up or they're conscripted. <laughs> well, no, they, they get commissions cause they're, they're royalty. They're no oh, royalty. They essentially get, they get cushy. Um, they, they get cushy sort of. I should probably let you know by this time of the episode that I am, uh, pretty drunk. Good. Perfect, me too, let's go! Um, so, on August 25th, um, Operation Continence is um, is launched. It'll last until September of 1941. Um, the, the UK and the Soviet Union jointly invade I- Iran, and they depose Reza Shah, and they install his son, Mohammad Reza, as Shah. You make it sound like why? they did it over a weekend. Like, give us the reason well, behind why. They, it, they did it in a span of, like, three weeks. Jesus, man. Because if you look August 25th to September 17th. Wait, what year was like this? 1941. You're 1941, the UK, and the. So, like, World War Two, ish Yeah. Freaking, the UK and Russia had enough availability to just be like, send in a, a fucking scout team and take out Iran. Yeah, they, they send in. Um, they send in. A, the Soviets take the north, and the UK takes the south. Um, Reza Shah is sort of moved around by the British. Um, he, he sent um, eventually to South Africa. Oh, they captured um, him. Yeah, and he he dies like they catch him pretty quickly, and and he dies on July twenty sixth, nineteen forty four, of heart failure, um, sort of in exile. F. Um, Rip grabbed his own heart by the balls. The the <laughs> the British and the, the Soviet Union would remain in in Iran until. Uh, March 2nd, 1946. And this was mainly because they had an agreement that they would remain occupying the country um, until six months after hostilities had ended. And the idea was that it was sort of like their their sort of agreement to make sure that like none of them were going to stay in there. Um, and, and during this time of the occupation, um, the Soviet Union would create what's called the, uh, the Tuda Party. I'm sorry, the what? Uh, Tuda Party. Okay. It's T-U-D-E-H. Um, okay. And it's like the, the Iranian Communist Party. Um, and it, it's sort of this party that they create and, and they sort of prop up, um, but it does uh, survive past um, their, their sort of pulling out of Iran. Um, they would also support sort of towards the end of their occupation um, an Azerbaijan people's government in northern Iran. Um, and they supported from November 1945 to December 1946. Um, the Republic was occupied by the Iranian military after the um, the Soviets pull out, and it's folded back into Iran after uh, much of the leadership flees to the Soviet Union. 
Weird. Um, they they also set up a um, Republic of because because there's a regular Azerbaijan in um, the Soviet in, Union in Azerbaijan. Okay. Yeah. So because Azerbaijan's a Soviet republic at, during this time period, mm-hmm. um, so, so they they just go to sort of the Soviet version of their their homeland. I'm sick uh, of this. Let's leave. And then they also support, which is sort of the most relevant to today, um, they support a Republic of Kurdistan in northwestern Iran, and they support it uh, from January 22nd to December 15th, 1946. Who runs on a constitution of limited vowels. And the the Soviet Union, um, when they... It, when they abandon it, um, the Iranian government again just comes in and suppresses the republic after invading. Um, the the head of the one of the leaders of the republic, uh, Mustafa uh, Barzani, um, he he's originally from from Iraq, um, from Iraqi Kurdistan, and he sort of leads his troops to Soviet Azerbaijan, and then he would attempt to form a Kurdish state under um, under a party. Um, which he had joined that form there, and he sort of becomes the leader of called the PDK, um, which is the modern-day um, party that rules Iraqi Kurdistan. Um, Basud Barzani, um, who you might have heard of, he was the former president of Iraqi Kurdistan. He died in 2017. Um, he was uh, Mustafa Barzani's son, and he was actually born in the Republic of Kurdistan. It sounds really familiar. Why would we have heard of him? Because he, because he, he was he was the president of of Iraqi Kurdistan, and he was integral in the fight against ISIS until he died. Oh, okay, okay. He, he, his last his in, his last name sounds familiar, Bayrani. I think I think Barzani is like a. It, I just like completely a, butchered like his fucking name. name. Like, I apologize. There, there seems to there seems to be a lot of Kurdish people named Barzani, so I think it's like a regional name. Like a, you know, it's funny. I think the only reason I'm recognizing it is because. Uh, I just showed my wife The Godfather for the first time, and I'm thinking Barzini. <laughs> I'm sorry, how old? <laughs> uh, she's Florida age, so there's no reason for her to have watched The Godfather. So that's all. That's really what? all. That's really all it is. Like, she just never got around what? to it. It's, it's all it is. What? I've never seen Scarface. I've seen it's every other movie. What? I've never seen Scarface. I can't deal with it because I've seen The Godfather, and I can't fucking deal with Al Pacino Ryan. being Cuban and talking like All that. Right, everybody, thank you for joining us today. Uh, Ryan, what you have short. to understand is is that Steve's father-in-law is a police officer, <laughs> and that he would just get. Uh, he can't so, watch those those bad movies. That's true. He would just gets so riled up by The Godfather. No, nah, dude, those, he's those the dirty Corleones. He's the he opposite. Just, yeah, he might be a listener, cool just dude. so you know. <laughs> <laughs> That that totally apocryphal story of. <laughs> oh man. Anyway, so Barzini is rolling Kyrgyzstan. Um, and then so the the sort of goes into the post-war period of um, Persia, um, Iran. Um, by the by the 1950s, you can actually call it either. Um, uh, Muhammad uh, lists the ban because, like Reza, Reza Khan made it so that you had to, or Reza Shah made it so you had to call it um, Iran. Like they would not accept diplomatic like papers or anything, or, or referring to it as anything but Iran. The fuck? Um, That's ridiculous. So, so to give you an idea of like the post-war situation in the Middle East, um, the U.S. and the U.K. become increasingly at odds um, because the British Empire is beginning to decline. And the U.S. is becoming more involved in the Middle East and is also sort of 
um, sort of reaching out to these these governments that are opposing um, British colonialism. Um, a lot of the countries that had been in the in the Middle East that were sort of colonies were more of protectorates, um, like Jordan, where they had a monarch who was set up, um, and the UK sort of would like come in and, and sort of dictate to them what to do. Um, right. But that all sort of goes away. Um, Saudi Arabia at this time had not been sort of controlled by anyone. Um, because there wasn't really like anything of value in the Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Hasn't come in there yet? Are there, well, no, they are there. But the thing is, is that like in the 1940s, when like FDR met with um, met with the head of the the Saudi royal family. By the way, like, not talked about enough. The the Saudi royal family like lived in a mud building. Like their their palace was made out of mud. Um, the oil hadn't really been tapped yet. I'm going to um, say they didn't find the oil yet, huh? The the only thing really of value in Saudi Arabia during that time is the Hijaz, which is where Mecca is. It's like where um, Mecca is. It's a big, like, sort of, like, port area. And the House of Sa- um, the house of uh, Saud is not from that area. They're from, like, the center of Saudi Arabia because they had been um, chased into the desert, essentially, by the Ottomans. Um, that they they had sort of opposed Ottoman rule. They had sort of this strict brand of of Islam, which is a sort of Islamic fundamentalism that pops up in the 18th century in opposition to the Ottomans and sort of the Ottomans like very lax um, sort of um, cosmopolitan Islam. Um, and so um, they when the Ottoman Empire collapses, the the House of Saud takes over. And um, during that time. Um, an American company comes in um, and they make a 50-50 deal with the Saudi government and they form this company called Aramco. Aramco? Aramco. Yeah, the one he was talking about earlier. A-R-A-M-C-O. Okay. Anyway, they're called... The Iranian American Corporation. They're called Haramco. But in 1951... Aramco would discover uh, the Safania oil field, um, which was the largest offshore oil field in the world. Um, I think it still technically is the largest offshore oil field in the world. Is it currently um, being like accessed? Yeah, um, and it's no, 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 no. It's just chilling. Well, I didn't know, dude. Like, <laughs> well, Deepwater was it Deepwater Horizon where they fucked up New Orleans? Well, they yeah. they hit it. Um, and then it, they don't begin um, being able to actually utilize the oil in it until 1957. Um, but the Jeez. U.S. and Saudi Arabia are are diversifying the oil market. How much of a uh, chance is it that they fucked up repeatedly and spilled thousands of gallons of oil into the 100%. ocean? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Hundred and ten percent. Is that is not a fucking dude? Chance. This is a total side question, but is there any place I can read about that? Uh, there's Google. probably tons of books on it. I can I find you some. <laughs> yeah, find find me one. You are the librarian. But, find me one. But uh, the, the thing too Thank is you. like you look at like Louisiana and like the oil industry has essentially destroyed like the wetlands of Louisiana over the past like hundred years. Yep. Like yep. just the Army Corps of Engineers, all the oil spills, all the all the sort of contaminants that come from like refining and all that. Has, has just sort of, we can't even contain oil spills in the year of our Lord 2020. I, like I, we I, don't. There's no fucking way that these guys in, didn't destroy the environment with in, oil spills. In 1957, there was probably like I, I don't think there's been any major oil spills, but I'm sure some is like 
like leaking because like if there was a big spill you'd you'd know about it because they'd just be like oh look at all this money we're losing right it would be one of those newsreels it's like tragedy strikes millions of dollars lost it's like like seabirds are like just like choking to death i told you we need to do an episode where you do that by the way because your your like newsreel voice is fucking fantastic it's fan Atlantic voice. It's fantastic, dude. Like the one when you oh, were explaining yeah. to Ryan a couple episodes ago that they used to do the like the news at the beginning of the movies. Oh yeah. Oh, uh, you're like fucking. I, like it's I perfect. post to the uh, the the Pathé ones. I keep posting. They use a different accent because it's British. But you need to get Gerald's like condenser mic and just get on there. <laughs> Tragedy strikes in Iran. <laughs> our boys fighting for our freedom. <laughs> Millions of dollars lost in the desert. What are we going to do? Actually, Ryan's is not freedom. bad. <laughs> Iran, freedom on the march. Oh, Iran, are they friend or foe? Find out later on. Um, you have to sound like you suck down a fucking an, an M&M's candy cane tube of fucking greenies when you do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> just one of those down, you know? My heart is jingling in my chest. Next up, Iran. <laughs> are you supposed to be able to smell colors? <laughs> You have to talk like the thin man, but like, like towards the end of the movie after they like, who's the you thin know the man? movie the thin man? No, about, I've, I've ab- seen the movie thinner about the the detective from like the the thirties or 50s. I know the tall man from Phantasm Three. Oh, but it's <laughs> get it's that like really, blockbuster. It's like a really good comedy, but he's like he's like a detective. And all he does is like get drunk, and like he has a he has his like wife that all they do is like throw parties, but he gets roped into like solving cases. It's pretty great. So you're saying he's a detective who gets drunk and roped into solving cases? Well, I gotta yeah. start it again here. But to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, yeah. to be fair, to be fair, that is um, every detective. In in 1949, um, the Shah is almost assassinated. Um, a, a shot grazes his face, um, and and in the response to this, he attempts to seize more power um, by establishing the Senate of Iran due to the sympathy of the public. And, and the the Senate was something that had been planned in the Constitution, but had not actually been implemented. Um, and the Shah uses um, this this sort of um, this sort of public um, sort of this PR c- a coup. Um, to to take the position, it, and when he forms the Senate, Muhammad Reza he appoints half the representatives, and all of those people are people that are sympathetic to his cause. I mean, of course. In in opposition, uh, a politician named Muhammad um, Mossadegh um, formed a coalition. That party sounds called familiar. The, called the National Front. And he does this to oppose the seizure of power, and he wanted to reign in the Shah as a constitutional monarchy. When did that guy die? Uh, we'll we'll get to that. It's it's coming up. Yeah, it's that's really asking for a lot. I apologize. Um, <laughs> most of the- Steve, when did the guy you just brought up die? When did he fucking die? We'll get there. You just got to ask me those like Chris Farley questions. Like, do you, do you remember? Do you remember when you said that the Steve, love you take you should, be, should be equal to the love you make? <laughs> you remember John when Hancock. Steve? It's Herbie oh, oh my god, do you, dude. Do you remember that? That was cool. That, that, that was, was cool. That was cool. 
Listen, uh, side note, um, when I'm at work and I have to get signatures from people, I'm like, hey, listen, um, you know, just give me your signature right here. Let me get your jo- uh, I'll tell them, let me get your Herbie Hancock. I've had one person that's been like, that's a great movie. Everybody else is like, ha, 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 ha. And now in my head, I'm thinking, do these people really think this guy's name was Herbie Hancock? They probably do. Like, oh, what if that was his middle name? Is it John Herbie Hancock? Like, holy shit. We're doing our best here to educate the American public. <laughs> But I feel I feel like if I keep saying Herbie Hancock, eventually they're going to be like, "Yeah, that was his name." I think our <laughs> how do you speak in such a clear, clear falsetto? How do you do um, it? <laughs> do you know how often I interact with these people? <laughs> uh, My listen, I can do really good impersonations of people if I have enough uh, his, um, enough material. Yeah, but you do with. it's such a good falsetto. You could be like in the Bee Gees. I, I'm well aware. Most of Dead, he is from a, a high-class background. Um, not like, sort of, I, I don't think he'd be considered aristocratic, but he's from a sort of a well-to-do, like, upper-middle, lower, lower upper-class family. I don't want to build also, him up too much. And, and he's also an Iranian nationalist. Um, a major goal of his party was to nationalize the Iranian oil industry and remove foreign influence from Iran. Hmm. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, that's, um, that's fine. On on April 28, 1951, uh, Mossadegh is appointed prime minister of Iran um, after the uh, Majlis, the, the parliament of Iran, um, nominated him by a vote of 79 to 12. And this is the guy, Mossadegh, he's the guy that wants to nationalize the oil so we can assume he's going to die very soon yeah the, he's going to commit suicide with like multiple gunshot wounds to the back of the head the the shah is is wary of of Mossadegh's, um political power and his appointment leads to mass protests in support of the national front's agenda so when Mossadegh is like is like um appointed a prime minister it's one of those situations where there's like rioting but it's like celebration rioting yeah, because he wants to give what is arguably the most expensive natural resource the benefits of that to the to his people. I mean, of course, these people can be super happy. Mossadegh's um, government would introduce um, unemployment compensation. Um, factories were forced to pay out sick, um, sick and injured benefits to workers, and the people and, hated that. God damn it! And the, Listen to this socialist fuck. Are you kidding what, me? What kind of bullshit is this? Oh my sick god! Get the fuck out of here. Go to work with oh, your fucking guys, flu, you socialist pig. Even worse. Forced oh, labor on farm estates was banned. Are you kidding? How the fuck are we going to make any money on corn, Steve? If I if I want to have somebody who's going to work for no money, who I can beat up if they don't want to work, that is my fucking business. Steve, okay? when I go to a Home Depot, okay, I get excited about the gentleman standing on the corner there because <laughs> it's not because that I can pay them such a low wage. It's because I can beat the shit out of them while I'm doing it. Yeah. Why else? You're telling me I can't do that? I mean, what's the point? That's that's the problem with America. I'd rather pay someone a living wage. Jesus. <laughs> Good Lord. On on May 1st, 1951, um, the AIOC, which is what APOC has become, because remember they changed the name to Iran, um, mm-hmm. was nationalized by the government of Iran. Hell yeah. Um, the concession would have expired in 1993, and when this happens, the, the British protest it, and they seek uh, legal action, 
and they attempt to prevent Iran from selling this oil on the international market. So they effectively blockade Iran. Um, from selling their own oil. Yeah, com- complaints are made in the UN against Iran, and the AIOC uh, removes most of its skilled technicians from the oil sites, preventing their operation. Um, the AIOC removes British technicians. Well, yeah, the skilled technicians. Um, I'm sure there were some non British people, just just people employed by the company who were skilled, like they get them to leave. Um, Sister Western Oil Company is also boycotted Iran. Um, So those those companies are also not not accepting any Iranian oil. Um, So so they're essentially boxing them out of the market. You know, for such a small island, England has a fucking propensity to fuck shit up. Like, just so small just causes so much bullshit in the world. What do you think the uh, the ratio is of Americans fucking America and Britons fucking the world? Very close. You think it's close? Steve, what do you think? One to one. Probably, one, to one. probably close. One to one. I don't know. I don't know. The, the British are doing a fair job of um, fucking over their own country at the moment, so... Uh- <laughs> you don't have to whisper that, Steve. Scream it for yeah. uh, the portion, person in your house right now. Go ahead. Scream <laughs> it for the one person who's in England listening to this right now. I don't think we're going to get any backlash on being uh, on uh, making fun of Brexit. Dude, you'd be crazy. You'd be like, actually, like there are guys I work with, right? And I'll say some shit against that kind of thing. And just because they know that, you know, I'm not completely liberal, but I am... I lean liberal, right? They will disagree with me, even if I. That's there's all being a contrarian. Even if exactly. there's no way I can be wrong, like there's no way I'm wrong. There's no argument. They're just like you should be like I think. Yeah. That the grass is green. Uh, Let me tell you so. Oh, I've done it. I've done it, dude. Is it really? Yeah. Is it really? Is it really? Isn't it just a blue? You know, <laughs> some people say that the, it's actually more of a shade of, of, of blue oh, or yellow. No, 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 no. Yeah. Listen, no. no Green blue. is a liberal um, conspiracy. I, no, no, no. Listen, listen. It is. It is. It is. A it is. I used to, there's a guy I used to work with, and his name is Jim. And anybody who's listening to this who knows me, who knows where I used to work, will now immediately know who the fuck I'm talking about. But Including you know, Jim. No, Yeah, Jim, if you're listening to this, what's up, buddy? Hey, who fuck you, me? Jim. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> Jim is the largest contrarian I've ever met in my life. He just got to argue so, with everything. Every, everything he had to argue. Dude, we so, I worked with a guy like we that. Sat around, yeah, one day we sat around and we made sure he was in the room and we started, you know, talking about, you know, just random foolishness. But we got to the point where we, we talked about, you know, Jim being such a contrarian and he was like, I don't argue with everything. And somebody was like, yo, if we told you that the water's blue, you would be like, no, it's not. And he immediately was like, well, uh, it, the water's only blue because of the reflection. Oh, oh my yeah, God. Oh my God. I got, I got a good one for you, but um, I'll, I'll be very fast, basically. I had worked with a guy who fucking who told me that it was ethical to sleep with your coworkers. If your personal ethics dictated it was okay. <laughs> so, and I called so, him an idiot, and he told my boss he was going to kick my ass. I was going to say, That's is he, is he awesome. like, he's, he come in like when people are talking about like, I, oh, he's, like, he's you know, been fired. <laughs> oh, I, I know, but I'm just saying, like, one of those people where, you know, like, well, you know, to us, you know, it's a, it's a terrible crime, but you know, to them, you know, just just beheading someone for for the yeah. minorest minorest of transgressions is, you know, that's that's just their own morality, man. You can't you can't question that. You know, who are we to say about what we do? 
when, uh, when they stoned that woman for sleeping, no, for uh, not sleeping with their husband, when they beat her to death with fucking stones, who are we to say that that's wrong? Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, but we're all any, them to say that that's wrong. Anyway, wrong. oil anyways, war. Anyways. Um, so, Mosadeg is continuing to, to sort of go on his, his sort of... Um, journey well, into reform. Yeah, I just want to say we stopped with him uh, getting rid of farm slaves. Yeah. He, yeah, we were doing so good. What happened? He, he attempts to um, in, enfranchise the illiterate. It, he used to have to be able to... Oh my uh, god, what is this guy thinking? But he's, Yo, he is going to get the shit kicked out of him by the United States and England immediately. <laughs> he's, beaten, he's beaten by a conservative block within the Machilis. And, and their logic is that they feel that these people would diminish the votes of people who are currently enfranchised. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, exactly. People you know, who earn the right to vote by being able to read. You know, Steve, if you don't. To vote. If you don't take the Devossian stance that public education needs to be demolished <laughs> so that people can't read enough to fucking vote on issues oh and they can only I listen to sound bites to and, and watch like videos I on YouTube. It be done better privately. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I think everyone should be homeschooled so that everyone votes the right way. Oh my fuck. Mm. I, um, do you do you have any friends with kids? Can you imagine oh some of those God. friends teaching their kids? Oh, I I I have friends who were who Every time someone tells me they were homeschooled, like, every time someone tells me they were homeschooled, I think, if this person is my friend, we might not be friends before the end of this conversation. The, we have like, about 30 seconds left of friendship. Like, like a couple of my friends, they were, like, the only, like, normal people and, like, the local, like, homeschooled kids. Like, all the kids that they knew, and this was because, you know, they, they had, like, us in the neighborhood and they, like, hung out with us. Right. But, like... The rest of the kids were just these like weirdo sheltered like kids and they they didn't know anything because their parents like one religious fundamentalists and two they were not trained as teachers at all so they had no idea what they were doing so so they just raised socially awkward like weirdos who can't survive on their own who don't know anything about the world religion because they know nothing but religion dude i'm i'll I'll extend your analogy a little bit i went to catholic school and well we moved to, to the suburbs and then we started hanging out with a bunch of kids who went to public school and it was way more kids than i hung out with when i lived in the city but I still went to Catholic school at the time. And then when I finally went to public school, it was like a completely different universe. The I remember the first well, the, when I went to public school after Catholic, man, it was crazy. Insane. A, a, a fact you'll enjoy was I, I remember looking at their, their history book, and this is my friend's. And it, it talked about like JFK and how JFK was questionable because he was Catholic. Era. <laughs> Era, I'm uh, questionable. But back to back to our boy uh, Mosadek. Um, I am a uh, Catholic because I am high. Nah, Steve, let's get uh, this shit going for four hours, bro. I'm drunk. Let's go. He would um, he would call for elections, believing that he would gain a greater majority in the Majilis. But he would stop these elections uh, when it was clear that he would not be in the majority. Um, he believed that foreign agents were manipulating the election and would postpone, and he would propose, postpone the elections indefinitely. Um, what year? And and one of these things is this is kind of believed to be somewhat true because the British were funneling money to prominent royalists in Iran, um, so prominent aristocrats were getting money sent to them by the British government to just like um, work against Mossadegh. Um, what, what year was that? 
1951. Okay. Okay. This is like 51, 52. Um, in 1952, um, the Land Reform Act passes. Um, it makes landlords pay out 20% of their revenue to their tenants, and these revenues could also, in lieu of being paid out in cash, could be paid into projects that improve the quality of life of these estates. Dude, can I fucking vote for this guy now? Is he running for the Democratic ticket? Like, for fuck's sake. What the fuck? So I'm renting, I'm renting a unit. We'll just call it a unit, right? I'm renting a unit, and not only do I pay you rent to my landlord... But also the landlord's going to come back and be like, also, here's some money for you. It's 20% of money. It's kind of well, like the not. Affordable Care Act where, like, well, every not. year they're, they're still bitching about it. But every year they get, like, a check for, like, $180 because the well, these, insurance company inevitably like, made too much money. They're, like, sharecroppers. Exactly. It, yeah, they're not just, like, tenants. They're, they're people who are actually, like, working for them. So they're saying that, like, not only do they get what they normally get, they're also getting 20% of, like, the the revenue that the owner is getting. And that the owner can either pay it to them like straight up, or he can invest in things to improve their quality of, of living. I feel like this is Bernie Sanders. Um, and on July sixteenth, nineteen fifty-two, Mossadegh visited the Shah to have a new camp, uh, cabinet appointed, and he assisted that the prime minister be able to name a minister of war and a chief of staff, which are two powers that were held by the Shah. Um, the the Shah refused this. So he tried to like take away the Shah, Shah's power to to essentially wage war. Wow. Um, and the Shah refused this, and Mossadegh uh, resigned in protest. Um, and he called upon uh, the people to rise up. Um, and when this when he does this, like chaos breaks out um, all across Iran um, as um, Ahmed uh, Kavam who was made prime minister, um, he was sort of a, a loyalist of the Shah, and he's made um, prime minister, and he announced his intention to negotiate with the British. Um, because during this time, you know, they're, they're sort of having this, um, this conflict. Uh, the boycott is beginning to affect the economy uh, pretty severely, and he's saying that he's going to go to the table. Um, so every faction possible that can come out to protest and counter-protest um, comes out. So you have everybody from supporters of the Shah to supporters of Mossadegh. You have the communists. You have um, you, you have the Ayatollahs, like their followers. Um, they all come out and protest. Um, I swear to God, every time I hear Ayatollah, all I can think of is that Simpsons joke, the Ayatollah Asahola shirts. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the only thing I can think of every time I hear Ayatollah. Whenever someone says um, like uh, Simpsons and they're referring to the Middle East, I just think of Klaukosh on stick. Clockwash. on stick. <laughs> With a refreshing crab juice. <laughs> I wish I had some crab juice right now. I need to hydrate. Good. Yo, you should try one of those uh, Budweiser, what is it, the Clamatos? Nah, I'm good. Oof. I got. I actually, uh, on a friend's uh, visual suggestion, I have a, a Four loco Seltzer in the fridge. Oof. Dude, I tried it. Let me just get my review of this very quickly. You should drink it right now. I had, the, no. I had the, <laughs> I've had like ten shots. I've had the uh, um, regular white claws. I'm a big fan of the white claws. It's very like light, you know what I mean? Like I'm I'm calorie conscious, and uh, whatever. I don't care. Fucking judge me, but uh, I'm calorie conscious. But I got the four loco. It literally tastes like you took sixteen tootsie pops and just melted them into some fucking seltzer water, and it's twelve percent. 
Oh my fucking! I was twelve percent. I was. I mean, a twelve percent beer will fuck you up, but I was drunk in like thirty minutes. No, no problem. And I wasn't even. Like a, is it? I was like half time driver. Normal four loco. It's hobo sized, so it's like a thirty-two ounce. <laughs> so it's normal four locos. It's yeah. yes, exactly. But it's it's literally. I recommend getting one. Actually, I don't think it tastes bad. I I happen to enjoy Tootsie Pops I'll, quite a bit. I'll try one this weekend. Probably. I will try. Listen. Yeah, uh, yeah. Next time. Let's watch some so Steve. Let's watch some movies this weekend two. about the Shah of Iran. And fo- oh wait, we're doing a podcast. Go ahead. Um, so after this sort of chaos breaks out after five days um, the military stands down and they do this mostly out of fears that the soldiers would begin like joining up with some of the factions in mutiny so they they just sort of stand down altogether um, the Shah then dim- um, dismisses uh, Kavam and he reappoints uh, Mossadegh um, because Mossadegh is, is riding a wave of overwhelming public support he immediately asked the the Bajilis, um for emergency power for six months. Um, these powers would be extended um, for 12 months in January of 1953, um, and this would give Mossadegh like like dictatorial power pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes sweeping reforms to limit the Shah's power. Um, he cuts the Shah's personal budget. Um, he forbids him to communicate directly with foreign diplomats. Um, to transfer royal lands back to the state, or uh, well, he transfers royal lands back to the state, and he expels uh, the Shah's uh, politically active sister, um, his twin sister Ashraf um, Pahlavi. Um, Ashraf is kind of like she's sort of popular within the royalist fashions, but she's also very much like like I the female equivalent of like a playboy like she goes out to casinos and stuff like that she's she's like living the life kind of person mm-hmm. yeah um he decrees a, a land reform law that established village councils and increased the the peasants share of production um he did this to limit the power of both the aristocrats and the the communist party the mm-hmm. uh, tuda and he does this um because he feels that if he doesn't form these uh these sort of soviets these these peasants committees that the the communists are going to beat him to it um okay the the british boycott has, has sort of destroyed the economy during this time and, and iranians are, are growing more and more destitute um his his enemies are beginning to grow and and his base is also beginning to fall apart during this period um fearing Mossadegh's increase in power and with prominent iranians sympathizing with the british um, leading members of the National Front turn against Mossadegh, and one no. of, and one of the um, one of the prominent critics of him is a um, is an Ayatollah um, Ayatollah Kashani Ayatollah um, Asahola. Yeah. Asahola. <laughs> he he's sort of a he's normally like an outspoken critic of the British, but he turns his ire onto Mossadegh. What dickhead? And well, I mean, this of, guy. This guy's trying to give people time off. I mean, come on. How are we going to get profits up? Yeah, my man up? has not get... done anything that I see that's like hard negative yet. So, well, I, I think it's just mainly that he is he's bringing in these sweeping reforms, which a lot of the establishment are not happy with, and then also the fact too that his actions of nationalizing the oil industry has caused this like huge embargo that's turned um, Iran into a pariah state. Okay. Um, sort of 
sort of worse than it is today because like iran today has like trading partners like they trade with like the russians and the chinese and like other nations um like like one of the big things that's, that's sort of funny is that like a lot of um a lot of like like seeds and stuff like that like a lot of nuts that they buy in like israel are from iran that they're like shipped to turkey and they're repackaged in turkey and then they're sold to israeli markets <laughs> Uh, fosters australian for beer so they're they're being boxed out of the international market (laughs) they can't sell their oil the country like most people in the country are already pretty destitute um so they they don't really like they're they're getting pretty desperate and they want most of the deck to just sort of like go to the table with the british um, because I think one of the fears that a lot of them had, and this is a fear that the British will have that we'll talk about, is that the communists are going to come in. And the idea is that not because Mossadegh is a communist, but because Mossadegh is, will be unable of like fighting off the communists when he falls far enough. Hmm. So the idea is that because he he's becoming so unpopular and he's becoming like weakened the economy and stuff, that people are going to start listening to the communists who are kind of like a bit of a non-entity during this period. And though they they come to support Mossadegh, um, Mossadegh is not that cool on the communists because he himself is a nationalist. Like he doesn't he doesn't really want to like reach out to the Soviet Union because he knows the Soviet Union is just going to do what Russia has always done with Persia because a lot of people forget this. Make self-serving land grabs and try to make money, essentially. Well, it's also the fact that the Soviet Union was an imperialist power. It it was, for all intents and purposes, an empire. And it expanded its influence to all its neighbors, so... I got, um... I was in a history class one time when I was younger, and I got incredibly upset about imperialism. And my teacher kept me after class and, like, had to talk to me about it. Because he was like, he was like, you, you can get that mad about it, but you can't get that mad during class because we're trying to learn here. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't think some of these people really understand what, what the fuck's doing? going are on. Like, are you like banging your desk with like both your feet? No, you, like, you know how like I interrupt are you, like you, President Gokuing, like the. You know how I interrupt desk? you, and it's kind of my shtick. Like I'm doing it right now. That's what I was yeah. doing. Over and over and over again. I just kept interrupting him. I was like, wait, let's go back. Like an hour later. <laughs> uh, we're going to go back to this. at the beginning of class, 45 minutes ago. I want to go back to this one detail, and I want you to... Walk I want people to understand something. Yeah, exactly. I just kept doing that. I don't know if they thought I was, like, fucking high or something in class. You're going to go to the wake-up class? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, most of the day... <clears throat> fucking cool yeah, guy. So, um, I'm looking so this guy up right now. I'm fucking interested. We're, so we're well, going to say, being that we're doing a, a, a two-parter on this. Yeah, we're right? we're cutting off here. Um, we're we're going to stop with sort of this this cliffhanger of the situation. So let's go through it real stick. quick. So Persia. Let's, let's, yeah, let's do let, let's finish up real quick, two, and then let's do like a quick recap. Quick let's recap on everything. Yeah. So Steve, finish us up, and then we'll see if we can remember what happened. Steve, the other Steve, Steve and I. Oh yeah, let's, let's do this. We don't, right. we don't have that much time. Actually, it's only an hour and forty-two minutes. We got plenty of time. Listen, we're okay. I want you to finish this up, and then Steve and I will give the sixty-second review of what we learned today. So, to to sort of give, as I said, the situation, Mossadegh is becoming increasingly unpopular. The British are becoming increasingly worried 
mostly about getting to their oil refinery. Um, and then also, too, um, they don't really have the resources to do anything about it because Great Britain is still recovering from World War II. Um, they're dealing with sort of um, issues all across the, the British Empire, so they can't really dedicate like people to like knock over the Shah, or, or the Prime Minister, I should say, because the Shah's kind of on their side at this point, though he is nominally supporting Mossadegh at this time. Um, okay. And he is, he is reluctant to go against Mossadegh, um, hence why he's sort of giving in to Mossadegh after he tried to like push him out. And you have to remember. And then, just as a quick reminder, Mossadegh is the prime minister. Yeah. The Shah is essentially the king, yes, or he's... the you know the the absolute monarch of the country. So, what he says goes. So he is doesn't really matter, right? Well, he's yeah, he's he's the monarch. But you have to remember, the Shah is also like he has like no self confidence, so he he doesn't really have like the will to to oppose anyone at this point. The Shah is Mohammad Reza, right? Yes. Okay. The guy that looks like Polly, Polly D. will end up looking like Polly, yeah. Polly D. So, so you just gave us the situation, and now you're telling us it's Polly D. Come on now, bunch of fucking New Yorkers in Jersey Shore. Goddamn it, forever. He definitely looks like he definitely looks like Polly Walnuts. Yeah, if you look was, at like older pictures of him. Because I was the joke. when he was older. So basically, uh, Iran was a country. The Greeks. Um, I'm gonna go with mine, and, and you go with yours, Ryan. So the Greeks are there. Iran, well, listen, we'll do this. The together. Greeks called Iran, it. Iran was Persia. The Greeks called it. Well, the Greeks called it Persia because of Clash of the Titans movie that they saw, and, and the uh, Persians were known for using elephants. Yes, the chillest animals the around. Super chill animals. Steve said elephants are pussy bitches with weak feet, and uh, <laughs> essentially that that was bullshit. And so then he went through anyway. Uh, Reza takes over, right? Reza Khan. And he re- he renames himself. Reza becomes the Shizza. The n- Reza becomes the Shizza. Yes. A ghost face killer is his son. And, and the entire country says, woo, tang. Yeah. Yep. yep. And they all listen to 36 chambers. He tried to raise his son not to be uh, a quote-unquote a gay uh, <laughs> a girly man. But that backfired because he didn't understand homosexuality. And uh, his son was not a gay, but he was ineffectual because he had no father figure because his father was a fucking bigot and uh, dickhead who who grabbed people by the nuts all the time. And then Muhammad Reza comes in and he's weak, right? Weak. Weak Weak spined. Weak weak spined man. Wouldn't stand up for himself. Wouldn't stand up for himself. And he had a lot of power, but then most of that comes in and he's like, you know what? I'm going to give the 80% of the country, I'm going to give them things. So he starts giving like, them I feel things. Like you got power and you're cool and all that, but you got too it's much. Like power, I get it. So we're gonna take some. Got a lot of money, but uh, you fuck you. And, uh, and the farmers are not slaves. Don't have stuff. And they get time off, and then uh, and then we ended there, right? Did I miss any? So now we're at, at well, we're now we're gonna end it at Muhammad Reza Pahlavi. See, because see, yeah, I just want. And we're gonna end with him after two assassination attempts, <laughs> and the prime minister being like, "Hey, bro." I just like, want our viewers to our, our viewers. I'm gonna refer to them as yes, our viewers. viewers. I want our viewers <laughs> to understand that we're not trying to make everybody into uh, the other Steve because the other Steve is fucking incredibly intelligent and well spoken, and he knows about this shit. I don't even know if he does research on some of it. He just fucking starts talking, uh, and. Uh, 
But if you have like even an understanding, like I just said, we're doing our job, right? <laughs> if you can understand that we are now at officially Muhammad Reza Pahlavi being the Shah and Muhammad yeah. Mossadegh being the Prime Minister you- <laughs> and Muhammad Mossadegh is a pretty cool, chill dude and Reza Pahlavi, while cool and chill, is also a little, little, little bitch. He's a little bitch. He's <laughs> a little bitch. Then you, you're with us. Before, you're, you're the same before we started higher. the podcast, Steve actually stopped us and said... Um, I don't want to warn you guys because I know you're a little sensitive to it, but uh, this guy's a little bitch. This is a fucking bitch. <laughs> just, just sort of hold back a bit. I know you're going to want to. you guys going to want to like. You're going to want to yell like beta. This guy's a cuck. You're gonna the Chad, the Chad Mosadek, and the uh, the Virgin Shaw. And the Virgin Reza Bilal. The Virgin Reza. <laughs> No, it'd be the opposite, right? It'd be the the, the Virgin Muhammad and the and the no, dude, Mosaddegh would definitely. Oh, oh, Mosaddegh. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, I was referring Mosedeg. to his father. Sorry. No, I said the Chad Mosaddegh. Oh, the, my uh, bad. I think his bro- I think his father was just an idiot. Like, yeah, probably one reason why the British pushed him. They're like, this guy, this guy's not that smart. Let's see how well I've remembered. His father was a Cossack. He he yeah. was uh, he was descended. He was actually born in Persia, but his like grandparents were from his parents or grandparents emigrated from Georgia but Reza wasn't a Cossack he was he was Georgian he wasn't like he wasn't like he wasn't like a Don Cossack or anything like that I think like but he served in the in the Cossack brigade yeah um, it's mostly like I think he rode horses yeah he was I, I don't think he was like there, there are different like sort of Cossack peoples. Like, I'm not really sure where they draw the line, but I know like the different areas sort of have like groups like the uh, the Tartars and stuff like that, who generally are known for having their horsemen. But like to to call them like a, a Cossack, I, I think it's sort of like a quasi-ethnic um, sort of designation, almost like being Jewish. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like your your family like. You, you were just sort of slotted into this sort of like social group for so long that it became your ethnicity mm-hmm. huh. or it's, I, I think it's sort of like that <sighs> I get it anyway that was so good con- I, had, so I had fun it's going to be a fucking bitch to edit because I know I was yelling a lot um, in conclusion Iran is a land of many different contrasts Iran is a land of contrast. Thank you very much for listening to my presentation. I hope you had as much fun listening to it as I did making it. Bats. Bats, the big bugs. I gotta hit all three points in my thesis statement. Number one, we're gonna talk about Iran. Number two, Steve's gonna talk about Iran. Number three, we're gonna stop talking about Iran. Good night. I, I hope that this was the best podcast that you ever saw. Oh my god, you son of a bitch. You can't end the podcast on dad puns. You have to start it with one. I just heard us, and that's the outro right there. There it is. It can be the intro, too. That's a good point. I'll make that work. All right. Later. All right, later, we guys. We'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. <laughs>